today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about SpaceX successfully landing the Starship at the same time that the Starlink pre-orders are soaring, Tesla's buying patents for just $3, Arrival and Uber announce a ride-hailing car, and details on new Tesla's new Powerwall Plus and more. And as usual, I'm joined by the guy who's driving around California in his ID4, Ricky Roy. How you doing, Ricky? I'm, I made it from uh, <laughs> mom and dad's house. We had the opportunity to have an ID4, as you mentioned, for a week. And uh, should I just start with how that's gone? Yeah, I'd love to hear how it's gone. <laughs> so the ID4 has a little less range than my Model 3. It has like 200 and something. And I find that the range calculations, the projections on the map, all that, is just less accurate than on the Tesla. The Tesla is pretty bulletproof. You go up a hill, you come down a hill, and it tells you where you're going to be, and it's pretty good about it. So the ID4, uh, not so much. Um, so on our 450-mile trip, our final charging stop, we pull into the charging station that the car told us to. Uh, it's about midnight now. It was a late night. And so the ID4 said, yeah, pull over here. On your way, charge here at this station. The station wasn't open yet. Mm and we were out of luck and we had 30 miles of range so the two options were to go back 35 miles back to the previous nearest station or to go forward 40 miles we freaked out called my parents my dad was like on standby he's like All right, i'll come get you but even if you did what are you with the car right yeah. so <laughs> we we braved it we uh we drafted behind a semi at like 55 miles an hour and we made it to the previous stop we so we backtracked 35 oh, miles charged for an hour and 40 minutes because the station there was a 50 kilowatt charger and then turned back around and got home around 3 30. um <laughs> <all> in. <laughs> it was the worst uh, road trip i've ever had for sure uh, to be fair ea is growing hopefully it gets better but uh, the integration between car and station where you're going has to improve like there's yeah. no way you could reliably do a road trip right now i think with a vw not a good introduction to you? VW. <laughs> my my <laughs> week was not that exciting. It's been just a kind of a normal week for me. What, you, you also put a new so video out this week. this week. I was going to say, you put a new video out on the um, microfactory stuff. And if everybody should go watch that, because he and I have both talked to Arrival, who's doing the microfactory technique versus the gigafactory. And he does a wonderful like teardown of the differences between the two systems. It's definitely worth watching. Yeah, that was our video last week. Uh, tomorrow, we have a video coming out on why we haven't been back to the moon or when we actually will now, which is going to be pretty exciting, I think. Mm -hmm. What about you? What was your video this week? It was something I stumbled upon, like, I don't know, a couple months ago. And just like I went down a rabbit hole of this is insane, just 3D printing houses. And it's cheaper and takes less labor to put them together. Um, it's still just very early days, but there are several companies that are doing it. That it's it's kind of mind blowing what you can do. Yeah, that's the future I'm looking forward to. That should be fun. So we'll have descriptions, uh, videos to those, links to those videos in the description. But let's get started with our very first story. And Matt was Matt mentioned before we started. This has kind of been like the week of SpaceX, and I, I think I think that's right. The SN15 prototype high altitude flight test was successful, which is fantastic. People have been talking about how, you know, they've been crashing these things. And I think people have the wrong idea that, you know, any crash is bad. It's quite the opposite. They've learned a ton and they were able to figure out exactly what, um, what they should be doing. And as a result now, they've got a successful 
landing maneuver. And I think what's interesting here is for the first time in kind of human space flight, this rocket now has to be uh, safe and it has to go, we have to go through like a post flight process and, you know, actually go through and a safe it, if you will, safing, which is, you know, this is a rocket that was just lit a little while ago. Are all systems deactivated? Are all the tanks emptied? Is it actually safe? Because, you know, you remember that uh, I think it was SN10 had a crash. Uh, sorry, it landed awkwardly, uh, albeit, but it did land. And then it kind of caught fire a couple of minutes later. So knowing that in the back of your mind, if you're SpaceX and this landed, how long do you wait before you go and actually safe it? Man, which is a, a good question. So that was the final part of this. And this will be the key because if this is going to be our future and we're going to have craft like this that take off and come back to Earth, we will have to have a system upon which we can reliably and predictably uh, prepare them for their future launches. So bravo, SpaceX. This is unbelievably cool stuff. And um, I think this marks the beginning of the next set of trials eventually resulting in the lunar lander that they were contracted to build. Pretty, yeah, it's, pretty amazing, right? Matt, what do you think? This, this had me so excited today when, the, when, I mean, when this came out, when this happened, it's just like, this is such a milestone. And yes, it was on fire when it was after it landed. So there's still kinks they have to work out, but that's part of the process. It's really fascinating how the other uh, companies in the field are all kind of working behind closed doors and SpaceX is being very open with all of their tests. So we're, we're getting to see how the sausage is made <laughs> with each one of these tests and each one is just better than the last. And that landing, oh, that is so, so amazing. It, this is a major, major kind of milestone that should get everybody excited. Yeah, this, it almost looks fake, doesn't it? Because yeah. of the nozzle vectoring for the rocket engines, which it's really like a fighter aircraft technology, and it it makes it look fake. It looks like, man, how can it possibly be moving in the sky? That's just incredible. Uh, this is going to be one of the things that I think we as, we as humanity have to look forward to will be this really fast cycle prototyping and development of rockets, which maybe now the next 10 years will be full of instead of going to the moon and then ignoring it altogether. <laughs> yeah, agreed. And in a... Yeah, and in a connected story, we also have uh, not to be done, not to be outdone by by Starship Falcon 9, which is uh, SpaceX's bread and butter, and it's their production rocket system right now, has launched another set of satellites for the Star uh, for Starlink. This is the 25th operational launch, and now they're um, they're poised to increase their user base and to continue to roll this out to more customers. They Currently have about 10,000 active users. And the most interesting part about this entire article is that they kind of unveiled or showed and they kind of showed their hand that they have about half a million uh, you know, pre-subscribers that are ready to jump on as soon as it's available in their area. So demand is there. Now they just have to execute and actually roll this out. And I've been watching a ton of YouTube videos on performance, and it has shockingly been pretty great. Um, I think Nikki and her team at Transport Evolve actually operate on Starlink. That's incredible. She has a video where she, yeah, she has a video where she says, "Being brought to you by by Starlink." So, um, great week for just SpaceX in general, for Elon and the entire for the entire community. But yeah, yeah, 
the, the Starlink stuff, it's like they have 1,500 satellites in orbit right now, and they're not slowing down. They're just, they're still going, which is just, it's going to get faster and more reliable the more they put up there. The other thing that's interesting about that half a million, if you just do the math, that's something like, I think it was like 50, that'd be $50 million of revenue a month, or basically $600 million a year. And that's just from the half a million people waiting to get it. It's like, imagine where they're going to be in five years. It's like, you're going to have millions of people. This is going to be a multi-billion dollar business, which is why you can understand why they're talking about potentially spinning it off as its own business. But it's it's just going to get bigger and bigger and faster. It's just, it, it's like a juggernaut. that's like starting to wake up. It's like this just, it's going to be fantastic to watch it unfold. But just the fact that there's $600 million of revenue basically lined up already, that's astonishing. Truly, truly is. The, the couple of challenges that they'll have is scaling up. As you have more users, you're going to have to have more satellites. This yep. data has to get processed and, and distributed from somewhere. So um, on land, on Earth, it's pretty cheap to do that. You build another tower or you build another data center, but this is space. But guess who's in the business of making uh, space flights cheaper and cheaper? SpaceX. So they're incredibly well poised for this. And the second thing is, I was reading, um, and I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but these Starlink satellites have a lifespan of, I'm going to say like between five and eight years or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they have to eventually be replaced. So um, there's there is some CapEx there. Like this is not going to just, it's not like a, like a passive income stream. Like they're going to have to be on top of it. But yep. who's to say that if they're selling this for a hundred bucks a month is maybe the low end, maybe they can go even higher in Western or more developed uh, countries, but potential here is huge and yeah. that's why i think a lot of people are waiting for that ipo i know i am yeah <laughs> me too <laughs> all right so next story so tesla snaps up a battery battery patents there were several of them they bought for three dollars and this news that came out it made me laugh because it it was it happened earlier in the year when they had their uh, battery day uh, Drew Buglino talked about their cathode process, where I loved how they described this. It was like in the raw materials input phase, they do the metal, create metal sulfates and they put chemicals with it. And then there's the cathode production process. And that's the red bar in that image that he just described as a bunch of stuff happens. <laughs> and then the final result is a lot of wastewater. The process ends up creating about 4,000 gallons of wastewater that contains things like ammonia, metal particles, and toxic chemicals. And so what they announced was they had a new process that's going to basically remove all that wastewater because the wastewater can be, either doesn't exist, and what does exist, the chemicals can be kind of recirculated to be used again. So it's going to save money, it's going to be safer and uh, more environmentally friendly. It turns out that was part of the... um, patents that they bought from a company that was called uh, Spring Power International, which is a very, very small company that nobody had heard of. And Tesla apparently kind of did an aqua hire because they bought the patents for $3. And then over the course of the past several months, a bunch of their employees have been changing their LinkedIn profiles to Tesla. So there you go. I just, I just, this story just really caught my eye because it's like, this is not the first time that Tesla's done this, where it's like, we find out six months later that they snapped up some small company for who knows what kind of deal, because it was all in the background, nobody talked about it. And suddenly they have all this influx of new talent in the company, helping them do something kind of crazy. Um, 
this this one to me is it's 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 little details like that from Battery Day that show how they're rethinking the entire manufacturing process, where it's not necessarily like some big glitzy new like solid state battery that has no you know it's like a lithium battery, it's straight up optimizing how you create the battery and being as optimized as you can, which is going to save resources, it's going to save money, it's going to be safer for the environment. It's just, I, I love this story. And I also want to know more about this company now and the people that ended up there. So what was your take on uh, the story? Yeah, it's it's awesome too, because I think some of these kinds of initiatives really help in places like Nevada, for example, where, where the Gigafactory is now, where you know, we have very desert climate, water usage is, is always uh, an issue. And I think we're entering another little drought season the next couple of years here in California and Nevada. Uh, so really important. And it just goes back to how Tesla seems to just rethink things that most people take as, as gospel. You know, we this is how we do things. This is how batteries are created. We don't, we don't get it involved at this stage. And from here on, we'll try to see if we can optimize. But Tesla goes back to the beginning. Remember the clay, uh, getting lithium out of lithium clays and stuff in, in there in Nevada? Clearly, because that's where they are, then that's where they, they want to tackle it. So I just think it's fascinating. It, it, that that approach to how they do stuff is starting to show for me as I get more like perspective on other non-Tesla EVs. Right? We talked about this before. The ID4 is a great vehicle. All the vehicle stuff about it is fantastic, right? Uh, the wind noise and the road noise is really good. The comfort, the chassis and the tuning suspension is all fantastic. It's a really good car. But the software part, the integration with how you charge, the, the user experience of it is very flawed. It has a long way to go. Mm -hmm. And so is the Bolt and so is every other auto manufacturer, right? But Tesla came out with their first product and has like the coolest UI of, of anything in any car. So. It just goes to show you that sometimes you got to just throw out the playbook and start over. So I would love to know more details. And like, like you said, then stuff happens here and a yeah. bunch of junk gets thrown out here. I'd love to know more yeah. than that. We're working on some some videos in the future about recycling batteries. And, it, and I've learned a little bit of insight from making those or researching those about how the sulfates are kind of a, the input for raw materials, just the most stable form of some of these chemicals and elements and stuff. But bravo for rethinking it and they don't really get into the details of just how much like cost is saved but whenever you optimize stuff for any purpose it's going to eventually lead in higher yields and stuff so right. this is this is tesla's game plan i think everyone is starting to get it it's not just about oh we can co copy their cars or we can copy this model you, what you got to copy is their obsessiveness to reimagine everything and i don't think anybody's doing it like like they are you gotta you gotta do the first principles thinking approach on everything. You have to come at it fresh. It's like if you if you mimic that, you'll probably end up in a similar position to Tesla, but other companies aren't doing it yet, which is kind of sad. They're more worried about the short term, but we'll, yeah. they'll figure it out. Yeah. Speaking of companies that are thinking about doing cool stuff, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the next story is about Arrival and Uber working together on an electric ride-hailing car. This story, I think, is interesting, and I was really glad not to put it on the board this week because... We, we mentioned we did a video on Arrival where they're kind of rethinking how you build cars. And their approach is, well, rather than spending like a billion dollars in a factory in the hope that we can build a hundred, hundred thousand or a couple hundred thousand of these cars, what if we scale everything back? What if we can make 10,000 cars or 10,000 vehicles um, a year? Could we do it at a good price point and could we do it profitably? 
So that's what kind of that micro factory concept was. And one of my takeaways in that video, and here's some pictures. It's really cool looking. Am I right? Yeah. No, it's very, that's very really sleek and modern looking. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Very cool vibe. So one of my takeaways from that video was if you look at the arrival of van, it was clearly very modular. The body panels were kind of identical and you just copied and pasted them based on how many you needed for the length of the vehicle. So this type of micro factory approach might not work for a car like the Tesla Model S or the Lucid Air where they're really beautiful and a lot of curves. And But for a car like this where it's really about interior volume and we get to the, the exterior of this car, but I, I imagine they're, they're following the same uh, methodology there. Also, they, they don't use stamping machines like typical factories do. Instead, what they do is they use a thermocomposite um, thermoplastic composite that they form into different into different molds and so these panels instead of being sheet metal which is what our cars would be would be a thermo uh, thermoplastic composite material the cool thing with that is they're very ding uh, proof so you get a couple of dings or you you know you hit something as you're driving around these cars autonomously right um these you know the eventually autonomously um, they're going to take damage, and now with, with this sort of material, you're going to be able to absorb it. And last point for, for Uber, it's really valuable because I think Uber is seeing that when, you know, as soon as Tesla has self-driving, they're not going to go call Uber and go, hey, Uber, how do you feel about being the, <laughs> the, the broker <laughs> to connect us with people? They're not going to do that. They know Tesla's going to build that themselves. So they're starting to maybe think we have to be both car and provider so this makes sense for them to partner with somebody who can bring that to market yeah to build on that though i think rival one of the things of a rival's approach is they're not trying to be a gm or a ford pumping out 20 million cars you know by themselves it's they're they're working in smaller markets like they're, they're starting with delivery vans for like ups and buses for cities, and now these ride-sharing cars, which are not going to be—they're not going to probably sell a million of these every year because it's not a consumer-level vehicle. So they'll be sh selling smaller numbers of these, which makes a lot more sense for a microfactory that might only be putting out a couple thousand a year. And if you have a few of these microfactories around pumping them out, you could put out you know ten, twenty thousand cars, and that might be—that's all that's needed for that market. So you don't need to be the GM scale of producing millions of cars. Um, the other side of it is Uber, like you mentioned, they've made an announcement that, like that I think it was by 2025, they wanted to be all electric and they, they've kind of bandied about in this area with talking with pseudo partnerships with people. But this is the first one where they're coming out with like, no, this is a car that's actually going to be on the road that will actually incentivize to try to help people buy them because they're actually going to have some kind of EV program where they're going to offer incentives for their drivers to buy cars like this which is really interesting i'm curious i'm curious to see how that actually plays out because that seems odd that they're going to kind of fund buying evs like this but if they want to hit that 2025 goal of being 100 percent electric they're gonna have to do stuff like that there's no other way around it um and, and the one part about this whole story that's not there is the autonomy it's like that there's a big hand wave on this. This is all electric, but you still have human drivers. Where's the autonomy? Where When is that coming? Um, that's the part of it that I would love to know about. I kind of think Uber might be working on some stuff kind of behind the scenes and yeah. they're they're like, we'll deal with that. Arrival, we don't want to make cars, you do that. And Arrival's thinking, 
great because we want to tackle computer vision and self-driving. So that's probably why the partnership is going to be a good one. Right. But you make a very good point. Going electric makes sense. And I've always, I've always mentioned, like, if you were to build the perfect ride-hailing car, it wouldn't look like the cars that you and I see day-to-day. It would be no. purpose-built for that. I mean, that's, you know, we don't use pickup trucks for transporta- tra- transporting huge materials and stuff. We have cu- you know, custom yeah. vehicles for that. So, Like this, the front passenger seat folds down and goes away so that you can have extra leg room. So it's like it does things. A, a bench seat in the back so that you can slide in and out like a taxi. So it's it's stuff that you don't see in a car that we're buying. It's it's custom tailored for this purpose, which is going to be nice. Exactly. The next story is we're going back to the Tesla Powerwall. We've been talking about the Powerwall like I think it's like this is the third week in a row <laughs> we've talked about this, but it's back in the news again. Um, the specs came out for the new Powerwall Plus, um, and this is the first real update to the Powerwall that we've seen in I think it's like five or six years. I think it was 2015 or 16 was the yeah it was 2016 was the last update. And the last news story we talked about was there was a software update that was coming out for existing Powerwall owners that was increasing the power output of the units, which is great news. But what this one is, it's an update to the hardware itself. And what's interesting is they've streamlined it. So it's integrating it with the, the battery with the inverter system and the system controller, which so that the solar panel system, the inverter, all that stuff, it's all integrated into one kind of thing, as you can see right here, because ab- ab- the, above the battery right here is the inverter, and then the battery is right here. This is going to streamline the installation process. This is what Elon was talking on the call, um, the last quarter of the call, is it streamlines the uh, installation process, should af- make it cheaper and easier to do. It should require less requirements from local util- utilities. Um, I'm curious on that one because I think that's going to be a regional thing. I don't think that's going to be across the board thing, but it should, in theory, make it easier to get and uh, in- install faster. But this one, it's I'm a little I was a little perplexed why they would force solar buyers to get the power wall because they're forcing people to buy them together now. After this came out, it starts to get a little more clear. I still have concerns because it does still jack up the overall cost of going solar with Tesla because batteries are still very expensive. But the other thing about this is the specs, which let me, I think the specs are a little lower on the screen. In case you don't know, the power wall, this has not changed the actual um, storage capacity. It only changes the power output capacity. So it ups it to about nine kilowatts for maximum output if you're off um, grid. And if you're on grid power, it's like 7.6, I think, kilowatts. That just means that you can have things like your air conditioning system running, stove running, things like that when the power goes out and a single power wall can handle more of that at once, which is a really, really good thing. Like for instance, I have one power wall at my house and I would have to be careful what I'm running because I could easily trip over that five kilowatts that my system currently can support. And this can go up to 7.6 off of grid power. Um, so this is going to help with that. And the other big thing that they integrated was a um, something called a soft start, which is it helps to avoid those big spikes that happen when your HVAC system kicks on. And having that integrated and built in too is really smart because I've actually been thinking of having one of those installed on my house to help with my HVAC system. And the fact that this is integrated 
super smart. Uh, what's your take on this? Yeah, I thought it was a really, really cool move uh, on their part. Uh, I do have a couple of concerns. I guess I'll start. With, I guess I'll start there because I mean I think you did a good job of outlining the, the cool stuff. The, the reason yeah. why you should be excited. One is they mentioned that you have to get their solar with their batteries. Like you yeah. can't go, hey Tesla, you know I got a quote. I got this other guy coming for solar, and just give me a power wall. Like they, they say they won't work, and there's no reason why that would be the case. I mean solar panels put out DC voltage. They're pretty standardized. Um, I don't think they were talking about the, the solar glass roof either. This is just traditional panels. So Correct. This feels like a move to the Apple world where you don't mix and match. You get you get the Tesla product and you get the Tesla product and you, you bring them together. It does make sense in terms of cost because, you know, the, the power wall is expensive currently. And part of it is it is really labor intensive. And the reason why, the big reason why they upped the output to seven to nine kilowatts is, like you mentioned, if you don't do that, in the case of you and I, you have to build a critical loads panel. So you're taking the main electrical panel and you are taking half of the circuits out and moving them over the lower loads to this backup panel. And the power wall can only have to connect to that. That is a huge amount of work. I mean, they took it took like a day and a half, almost two days for them to finish that on my house. Because you're taking all the circuits that could come into your house and you're moving them over. With this now, that's all gone. You notice in that picture, you have your main panel, and then you have a power wall. Because now your whole panel is the backup panel. There's no secondary backup option. And that was needed back in the day because at 5,000 kilowatts, you can't back up things, as you mentioned, like your air conditioning, especially that spike, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So this removes all that labor. Like I'm thinking about at my house, if I had got this installed, they're done like late day one. There's no day two. There's, you know, so I think the, the cost savings there can be pretty huge. I don't know if they're going to reflect on the prices or if there's other. That's my question. There, but... It's like, it's going to save money, save money for who Tesla or the end user. It's like, that's my big question. Cause I don't see them dropping prices yet. So they're going to, if they follow the Apple path, they'll keep that price consistent forever. Even though they increase their profit margin, that, that's what they'll end up doing <laughs> if they go that path. Which... I think it's okay, right? right? If you can be an investor on on the on the on the investment side and be happy with that, but because um, there's demand, right? There's a ton of yeah. people who want Powerwalls, so they, I don't think they need to drop prices. And I I wouldn't be surprised if currently I think it's like twenty five hundred dollars is what they they tell you it'll cost for installation. I wouldn't be surprised if that comes down quite a bit. Yeah, it would be nice if it did. It looks cooler too. It doesn't look way cooler. It's just clean. kind of a minimalistic. Very clean. Which is not so how the my top, installation looks. <laughs> agreed, agreed. So the top, the top part is the inverter. What about that gateway? Is the gateway built into the power wall now? It sounds like, like the, the gateway. It sounds like the gateway is all built in. So it's like it sounds like this is a completely streamlined approach, which could explain why it's bundled with their stuff now. You have to get the solar from them because it's so integrated. Where the gateway makes it agnostic. <laughs> you can go with any system you want because the gateway just handles. Right all that kind of stuff. So it's like, I wonder if that's partly why they did this. Cause it's gonna, that's another thing that you have to pay for right now. You get get a power wall, you have to get the gateway, which costs, I think it was like 1500 bucks or something like that, or 2000 bucks just for the gateway. Right. And so it's like, if you get rid of that, there's a cost that's gone. A, a shared inverter between this panel system and the, the battery. So it's like, I could see why they might want to do that. 
if you think about like the full picture now of Tesla Solar, uh, we both did videos maybe a, almost exactly a year ago where they announced the cheapest prices on the market, right? It was yep. kind of a play to get into markets and start to kind of saturate um, installations. Then now they swing wildly the other direction and, and mention no more sales without power walls. And I actually think where they're headed today is long-term the better approach. I've, I've mentioned in the past that people who get solar in California are not doing Californians any favors because they're actually causing huge spikes of production during peak times. And, and as a result, power operators are really struggling with that. So I would say if you got a smaller solar system and you got a power wall, maybe it's not enough to eat up your entire bill, but if you could have more of a steady load draw from the grid, yeah. And everyone did that. That's way better. So long term, this is probably the right move. But it does make Tesla maybe a little less price competitive, especially because the average person is thinking, well, Powerwall is not going to save me money. It's backup. Why would I want to get more solar panels and have more? It's a little tricky, but I do think Tesla's doing the right thing for sure. I, I do, too. It's just they're pricing themselves out of the market for a huge swath of the country. Uh, Ten thousand dollars. It's significant. It's like it's solar, right? <laughs> and, bat- and batteries in a, in certain areas are not going to make sense. It just it's not going to make sense. The electricity already is too cheap. There's no time of use rates. It's like getting your money back out of that is not going to exist. And so for that those areas, Tesla's probably going to just see their sales plummet. Play though could be well, you know, the gateway's built in. This is an internet device. They build another auto bidder system and you don't even know about it. You just live your life and your power wall is buying and selling electricity like like some stockbroker okay. on, on Wall Street. It, it, in the long term, I agree. It's That's what's going to happen. It's like this is the, I agree in the long term. This is the smart play. This is the smart. This is where it has to kind of go. I just I just fear that they're pushing the envelope too far because the prices aren't quite there yet unless they and unless we see them start to drop their solar prices significantly over the next couple of years it's like i think if that happens then then i don't think there's gonna be a big issue but long term this is the way to go and they're they're creating their own massive virtual power plant system as they're for every single one of these they install it's another battery added to their power plant system which is that's gonna be money in the bank in the long run for them so that's that's pretty cool yeah, and it might not matter a whole lot because they're kind of constrained in terms of Powerwall output anyway. Yeah. So if this is driving away some customers in the early days while there's a shortage, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. True. Very true. And don't forget to watch Elon on SNL. Yeah, definitely <laughs> tune into SNL. Uh, that's going to be a fun to watch. But thanks for watching, everybody. Be sure to uh, subscribe if you haven't already. We're live every Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And as always, you can listen to the podcast version on the go at viceversa.show. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you in the next one.